You just want to for a minute just bless the name of the Lord. Just bless the name of the Lord for his life. With my hands lifted up. With my hands lifted up. And my mouth filled with praise. With a heart of thanksgiving. I will bless thee. Lifted up with my hands lifted up, and your mouth is filled with praise, and my mouth filled with praise with a heart of thanksgiving. Exalt your name this morning, and we say that as we lift your name, may your kingdom be established. May your kingdom come this morning, Lord. 
Holy Spirit, come and have your way, like you always do. And at the end of the day, we will exalt you, for you are God. And all the saints shall shout, Amen. And you want to celebrate God in the house this morning? You want to take your seat? Last week, we looked at something at our discipleship class and the subject of which was when we don't understand God, when we don't know what God is doing, when we don't know what he's about. And we equally learned about how to go about it, how to respond well, how to respond in a positive way when we find ourselves in that place, in those circumstances. And this morning, my assignment here is quite brief and quite simple. I want us to look at something that equally baffles us sometimes. Come with me to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. It's quite a long read, but stay with me because I'm preaching with you. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkeys. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamp for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there was behind him a ram caught in the ticket by eight horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven 
and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiply, and in multiplying I will multiply your descendant as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendant shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Amen. It's quite interesting that sometimes God asks us of certain things, and all because we don't really fully understand what he is doing. And I said we want to look at something that also baffles us. As well as when we don't understand him. There is something else that baffles us as well. So come again to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. Ephesians 1 says that having made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. This morning we are looking at the mystery of the will of God. Having made known to us the mystery of the will of God. There is something, there is a mystery that surrounds the will of God. There is something about it. It is shrouded in mystery. The Bible says that God purposed in himself to make known certain things. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to God, but the ones that he reveals, they are for us and for our children forever. It means that if God decides to reveal certain things, it is his prerogative. He chooses to reveal it or otherwise. But whatever the case, in his purpose, our own purpose is defined. Amen. But as humans, we sometimes come to the place where we begin to question God. Why is this, Lord? Why is it that you allowed this trouble to come my way? Why is it that you allowed me to go through this mess? Why is it that you watched me to make this decision and you didn't say anything? Only to find out that at the end of the day, this decision was going to mess me up. Why is it that you didn't tell me that this business venture was about to enter was going to create problems for me. Why did you not say anything but you watched me to go round and round and round and round only for me to realize at the end that it was not your will for my life? Why did you do that? After I've gone through the pain, the hurt, the disappointment, then I come to realize it. Why did you not say anything sooner? Why did you not? I looked at the word mystery in the dictionary and it is defined as something that is difficult or impossible to understand. So it, it then presupposes that if it is impossible to understand it, then it will take revelation for you to get it. That is what mystery is. It takes revelation 
for you to get it. And the word will is also defined as a legal declaration of a person's wishes regarding the disposal of his or her property or estate. Will is also defined as a strong desire. In that same vein, I looked at the word willpower, and it is defined as your ability to control your own thoughts and actions. So God's will, the mystery of his will, it is shrouded. It is, it is almost like it is caged in some mystery. And we get to the point where it is like almost impossible to figure out the will of God. You know the Bible is the will of God. It is written in black and white. But as you read those black and white pages, you come to realize that it takes more than black and white pages to get what is God is saying in there. That it takes revelation for you to actually discern and to see the thing everybody sees. There is something about it that you get differently because of revelation. We come to the realization that surprisingly, the book I'm holding is not just a storybook. It comes alive when revelation steps in. So, first of all, all of us, I want all of us to come to the same point. That the God we serve is sovereign. He is absolute. Isaiah says that he knows the thing, the end of a thing from the beginning. So he has your life already programmed. Your life is already in his hands. That is Isaiah chapter, if you want to to know, Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. Bible says that he declares the matter, the end of it. From the beginning, before it starts, he knows how it was going to end anyway. He is an all-knowing, he's an all-powerful God. Nothing takes God by surprise. He is never surprised by anything. I know some of us might have encountered people we know, or perhaps we might have heard of who were told by the doctors that they have days, weeks, months to live, and they have simply refused to die. They have willed themselves to go on living. They have gone on to live days, more weeks, more months. So much so that the doctors themselves give up on giving them dates. Now, if that is how powerful the will of man is, how much more the will of God? And we've already said that will is also that legal binding document. That tells a person's wishes. So it will be great. I mean, it is good that I know what is in the will of my parents for my life. But what is even more greater is knowing the will of God for my life and for my existence. That is more important to me than anything. Because the thing is, I'm living on borrowed time. The time I'm living is not mine. I've borrowed it. God gave it. And you're on borrowed time. So it means that your days are numbered. But this is the God we serve who is infinite, who is not affected by time. He lives outside of time. He exists outside of it. But me, I'm limited. So for that matter, I can't get things wrong. I need to get it right once and for all. I don't want to waste my time doing the things that are not what God expects me to do. I don't want to spend my energies. I don't want to spend my resources. I don't want to do things that will not be in the will of God. And only I will have to come at the end of my life to realize that 
It is all vanity, like Solomon will say. In Genesis 22, we see the story of Abraham and his son. And that story is quite an interesting story that brings to me certain things that are figured out about the will of God, about the mystery thereof. The first thing is that God sometimes hides his will from us. And it is for a purpose, it is for a reason. And he hides it even from those he calls friends. You know that God called Abraham his friend, yet he chose to hide his will from him. That is who the the God we serve is. And the second thing is that God reveals his will in stages, in phases. He doesn't give it to you all at once because if he does, then you will mess it up because you will hasten it. Knowing you and I will be in a rush to get to the finish. And so he doesn't do that because he doesn't want to mess your life around. So in verse 2 of Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, get thee up and go with your son, your only son. This is not the first time actually that God has told Abraham to get thee up. Surely God, you could be more specific. He says, just said, go to the land of Moriah, one of the mountains, I will show you. You could have been more specific. You could have given me more details than that because you've done that a lot. Every time you come to me, all you say is get thee up and go. As to where the details is, no map, no address, no directions as to you get to the end of the road, you pass by your left or by your right. No, he just says, get thee up and go. Honestly, God, the thing is that you are not a God who makes up the script as you go along. You know the end of a thing from the beginning. So why can't you just say it, that this is it, this is where I need you to be? Why is it that you always have to shroud it in a mystery? Why is it that it's like almost like we're going round and round the circle just to get to the point you are making? Why are you like that? So Abraham takes his son without having the details, without having all the information. And then he set out to this world of I don't really know. You see, the hardest thing for every leader to do is to stand in front of his people and tell them, I don't know. You are the head of your household and you tell your family, your children, I don't know. When they expect that you should know everything, you should have the answers, you should have the solutions, and you tell them you don't know. Our children usually think we know everything. How many of us have been there? Give me a wave. Our children, they think we know everything. And then as they grow up and one day they realize, actually daddy doesn't know everything. The surprise and the shock on those little faces of them when they realize Actually, you don't have all the answers. You don't know because when they ask you something, you realize that you are scratching your head and you say one thing and they go to school and they say another thing and they come back. But you said it was this, but my teacher said. And then they get the shock of their life. You are expected to know, but life always has a way of bringing you to the point where you simply don't know. You just don't have the answers. You just don't have the solution. So we want to look at why does God hide his will from us? Why does he do that? And the first reason is so that our relationship with him 
will be enriched. Our relationship with him will be enriched. Paul says in Acts 17, 27, that God did this so that in looking, we will find him, that we will look him, we will seek him, and we'll find him. Can we have Acts chapter 17, verse 27? It says that, that in seeking, we will seek him, we will find him. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. If you are not far, why is it that we have to seek you? Why is it that we have to look for you? Matthew 7 verse 7 to says that verse 7 to 8, Matthew 7, we all know Matthew 7, 7, ask, knock, seek, isn't it? Whoever asks will be given. Whoever knocks will receive. Whoever seeks will find. The thing is that God could have taken the door for you to not knock. Just taking the door off so that you just walk straight into it. But he puts the door there for you to, to knock because there is something you prove in your knocking. That door is there for, for him to know that do you really need it? Do you need it bad enough to keep knocking? Do you really want it bad enough to keep seeking? Do you want it bad enough to keep asking? And as you keep seeking and seeking because you are waiting for that answer, you are waiting for that door to open, your relationship with him becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. That is the God we are serving. Amen. There is something you learn in your knocking, in your seeking, in your asking that you would never have learned if God were to give it to you so easily. Amen. The second thing is that he hides it so that our relationship with him will move from that sensual perspective to revelation, to walking by faith. In verse 3 of Genesis chapter 22, Abraham takes his time, takes his son, sorry. And after wandering for three days, the Bible says that he looks up and then he realized that this is the mountain God was talking about. How Abraham knows it? Well, I'm standing here telling you I don't know. But Abraham knows anyway. Have you been in that place where you don't know what you want, but you know you will know it when you see it. You don't know the car you want, but you know you will know it when you see it. You have, you, you have some idea about the kind of house you're looking for, but you know that when you see that house, you will know it, that this is mine. Now, this is Abraham without details, without a map. Just lift up his eyes and sees and knows that this is it. Because God was dealing with him on a level that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of any man what God has purposed. But he has revealed it by his spirit. It was through revelation, the spirit of God. That is the level where you can't tell anyone why you do the things you do. Why you know the things you know, but you simply know it. He hides it. So that your own discernment, your foresight is heightened, is pronounced. So that you won't learn to walk with him by faith, but not by what you see. You are in a shop and the shop assistant asks you, is there something you are looking for? You tell them, not really, but I will know it when I see it. 
And it happened, that happened to me just last week. You just know it when you see it. You know there is something you want, but you just need to see it. And when you see it, nobody tells you this is it. Because there is a level God brings you when he hides certain things from you. Amen. The third reason is that he hides it so that we will know what his will isn't. Does it make sense? When he hides it, you will know what his will isn't. What his will is not. In verse 5, Abraham says to the young men that were with him, you stay here. I and the lad, I and my son will go up and we will worship. You see, once the mystery of his will has been revealed, it brings separation. It just makes you realize that, that, that there are certain people, there are certain things, some relationships that are not worth pursuing. The more you get to know the will of God, the more you realize that there are certain things, they are not worth your time. There are certain people who are not worth going along with you. It brings that separation. That is why God hides it, so that he cuts off certain things from you so that you know this is not the will of God. Amen. The fourth reason is that so that your loyalty and your obedience is proven. Can I have the verse 6? From verse 6 downwards of Genesis. Here is Isaac's son, um, Abraham's son, sorry, Isaac, carrying the wood for the sacrifice and he put it on Isaac, he took the wood, he took the bent offering, and he laid it on Isaac. It's interesting, but have you been in that place where you feel like you are carrying that which will potentially kill you? But that is what this scene is all about. And he asks his dad, I see the fire, I see the wood. But where is, where is, ask your neighbor, where is the lamp? Where is the lamp? Where is the lamp? And as a father, he has the hardest, the hardest of tax to tell his son to lay down, to lie down, ties him up because he is the sacrifice. Can I ask the fathers here, how many of us are willing to really go to that extent. Just give me a wave. This is for the fathers. This is for the fathers. Mothers are exempted. <laughs> but the thing is, Abraham is willing to do that. You see, Abraham has waited so many years of his life to get this covenant son, this prophecy fulfilled. The word of God came so many years. And finally, it has been fulfilled. And then God comes back and says, give it up. Give it up. And Abraham has to give up what he considers his greatest gift and his greatest of possession. I pray that God will give us the grace that when we get there, we'll walk in obedience to the voice of God. Amen. It is interesting to note that that God allows Abraham to tie his son. And he allows him to lift up the knife. 
All because Abraham does not know the full will of God. He just doesn't know. He knows just one bit. God never told Abraham that it was never about his son. He never did. He never told him that. It was never. It's not your son I want. I just want your loyalty and your obedience. That is all I'm looking for. But God shrouded for him to give up that which is so precious to him. I pray that as God talks to us and as he gives us the command to give up on the things we consider priceless that we will obey because out of obedience, trust me, the double portion that comes, you'll be amazed. Abraham is willing to do it. The thing is that Abraham came this close to killing his son and he would not have been out of order if he did because God gave an instruction. His revelation came three days ago. Three days ago, God said, take up your son, go and sacrifice your son. And three days afterwards, he's doing exactly that. So he wouldn't have been out of order. But the problem here is Abraham would have been walking in what God said and not what God is saying. There was an instruction. You see, many of us miss the moment God is talking because we fail to to remember, we forget that the will of God is in stages, is in phases, and that what he said yesterday might not be the same about what he's saying now. The instructions have moved on to stage two. Stage one says, go sacrifice. Stage two says, don't. But we are caught up in our own tradition, in our own routines, that we don't seem to hear the rattling of the lamp that is in the bush. We are so distracted by the things around us that we don't hear the new command that has been downloaded from heaven. But this is how God deals with us. Most of us miss our moment of revelation because we were too focused on what God said, not what God is saying in the here and in the now. And as we are sitting here, there is something God is downloading in your spirit. If you would just allow yourself, you will hear the next phase of the instruction. If you listen again, trust me, you will hear those rattling that is in the bushes, those interruptions that God brings your way just to draw your attention to the fact that the next phase is here. God told you to lift the knife, but he didn't say kill Isaac. The question remains, why did God not tell Abraham? there was a lamb already provided for the sacrifice. That it was never about his son. The answer is that so that Abraham's loyalty and obedience will be proven. If God had said there's a lamb provided, then God wouldn't have known that Abraham is loyal and is obedient. Do you remember what the devil told God about Job? He said to God, Job fears you. Job is serving you, is worshipping you because you, God, have decided to protect him. You've put a hedge of protection around his life, around his family. That is why he is serving you. If you just take it, 
away. And if you will just let calamities, you take his wealth, I am sure he will not so much as even mention your name, let alone worship you. And this is the challenge God threw to God. Uh, Satan, sorry, threw to God. And God told him, yeah, go ahead. Do what you must. Do what you want to. But make sure you don't touch his soul. Touch everything, everything around him. And let's see if his loyalty and his obedience to me will not be proven. Now, Satan goes his way. We all know the story. And that's all kinds of. He goes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Because that is his department. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that is exactly what he went about doing in Job's life. But at the end of it all, Job's loyalty was proven. And he could say that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I pray that there will be a testimony about you in heaven. That God will be able to confront the devil in his face. And tell the devil that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you throw at this one. This one will still obey my voice. This one will still be loyal to what I've told them to do. I want, I want us to have that kind of testimony. That God himself could say something like that about us. That is exact. There's this hedge around you. There's this protection God has provided. I pray that we will not let the devil use that for us to disobey God. In Jesus' name, amen. After all this, the devil had no leg to stand on. And you remember how the story ended? Everything of his was, was what? Doubled. Because he walked in obedience to the voice of God. Lastly, God hides it so that you will completely and totally learn to trust him and to depend on him. That is why he hides it. God causes us to learn something out of the uncertainties of life. Whilst you were coming up the mountain with your problems, with your pain, with your dejection, rejection, he was also coming up from the other side with the solution and the answer. If you would only obey and if you only trust him, if you would just depend on him, you would get to the mountain, top of the mountain and you realize that the answer was waiting for you all along. That the answer had already been released. You remember the story of Daniel? Immediately he prayed, the answer was released. You come up one side with your problem and God is already meeting you from the other side with the solution. That is the God we are serving. After you've walked in loyalty and obedience, verse 15 to 18 of Genesis 22 pronounces a double blessing over your life. He's saying that in blessing, I will bless you. Your descendants, your children, your children's children will possess the gates of their enemies. He says that your children and your children's children, there will be a blessing and all the nations shall call them blessed. Everything about you will be a blessing because you chose to trust. You chose to obey. There is a portion. There is a double portion in obedience. There is a double blessing in loyalty, 
in trusting and believing God, in depending on him. He hides it. He hides it. Yes, he hides it. That is the God we are serving. And I tell you, I don't know why, why, but he hides it. And it is for a reason, so that we will learn to depend. And when that obedience is complete, trust me, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The lines will fall for you in pleasant places. Trust me, thousands will fall on your left, 10,000 on your right. With your eyes, will you see and behold the reward of the wicked? That is the God we are serving. Stand to your feet. You want to hold the hand of the person beside you. You want to hold your hands. You want to pray for them briefly for a few minutes. Pray for them. You want to pray for them and you want to say, Father, cause this one, cause this one to understand that you don't always reveal your mind. Let him come to the understanding that you don't always do that. And cause this one to trust you no matter what they go through. In the uncertainties of life, when they don't seem to get it, when they don't seem to know the next step to take, when they don't know whether to take their right or their left, when they are caught up on that crossroad, cause this one to trust you. Cause this one to learn to depend on you. Cause this one to learn to totally, to totally know, know that you have their best interest as well. Cause this one to want to walk with you all the days of God. That is how he is. That is who he is and that is how he operates. May this one learn to trust God no matter what. May this one, may this one, may this one even in the name of Jesus. You want to pray for them one more time. That father, let them listen to those interruptions you bring their, their way. Those things they don't seem to understand. When they get there, teach them to realize when you are talking to them. Open their ears, open their eyes, open the understanding of their heart. That they would fathom, they will comprehend, they will understand what you are saying. Cause this one to walk in revelation. You want to pray for them. That Father, cause this one, cause this one. Let them know that through the uncertainties of life, when you bring those interruptions, may they see it, may they hear it. May their yes, may their yes be so alert, be so sharp to what you are saying that they will know when the plans have changed. They will know when the course have changed. They will know what it is to do in that moment. They will know what the Lord is saying in that moment. They will never miss their time and their season. They will never miss anything that belongs to them. They will not miss, they miss that opportunity that you provide for them. They will not miss any good thing that you provide at any point in their life. Cause this one, cause this one, Cause this one, even in the name of Jesus, let time and sequence is everything. To you, the sequence is everything. And I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray that God will open your eyes. That God will open your ears. 
that you will hear the interruptions he brings in our lives so that we don't miss anything in any moment of our life. May you not miss your time. May you not miss your season. God said he's already finished with your life. He's called the end of it from the beginning. He has the full picture of your life, but he's only releasing it in stages. The only thing he wants from you is to walk every aspect of our lives. I pray, oh God, that caused us, caused us, oh God, to walk in your ways. May it be well with us, oh God. I pray in the name of Jesus that may goodness, may mercy, may good health, may turn around, may favor, may joy, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. May it follow us. May it not just follow, but may it pursue and overtake. Even in the name of Jesus. And all the saints shall shout a big amen. And you want to celebrate, Lord, in the house.